Okay. Thank you for the opportunity again to uh, share with you today. Uh, I want to talk about post-truth. We live in a post-truth society. And just to set the scene, I'm going to show a segment from a YouTube clip that uh, was taken on the campus of one of the universities in the United States. Now, interviewing students, you, you get the idea that there's probably not a real lot wrong with their intelligence, but have a look at the responses that the interviewer gets when he poses what I would consider impossible um, situations to the students. Thank you. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether your sex at birth is matching to that, you should be able to utilize the resources. So if I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. I'll be like, why? <laughs> really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I'd say, good for you. Like, yeah, be who you are. <laughs> I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions just because on the outside, I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. Uh, I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean, I it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. Okay. If we can have the PowerPoint, that would be good, thanks. In 2016, the Oxford Dictionary defined the word of the year as post-truth. And it's an interesting situation. Um, the Oxford Dictionary defines truth, post-truth, as something like this. I'll turn it on here. More technology. Okay. Post-truth as... Uh, facts are there, but yeah, maybe my feelings are more important. Or secondly, facts don't really matter. It's my reality or my agenda that's the most important thing. And really, blow you if you don't like it. And in this situation, we find that the world is prepared at the moment to downplay facts. Facts are becoming a casualty in the post-truth world that we live in. And is it important? Well, I think it is because we base our lives on the facts that are behind the actions that we expect and trust. You, know, you think about your doctor. You think about your mechanic. We wouldn't want them to base their actions in terms of our health or the safety of our car on their feelings, would we? And I'll think about that a bit more in a minute. Well, facts are being abandoned. They're being abandoned with nothing to replace them except our perceptions and our feelings. Well, we live in a world with this happening. Where did this trend come from? We've seen how politicians around the world 
particularly um, in the last uh, few years, have bent the truth, selected one set of facts against another and ignoring them, and maybe even fabricating events to prove a political point or to gain uh, what they're trying to achieve through their specific agendas. As well in our society, there's this growing sense of entitlement that I have to be free. But reality is that people don't really want freedom, they want autonomy. I want to be able to do what I want regardless of what you want. Dan Quayle is reported to have said, I stand by all the misstatements I have made. Well, that's a politician for you. For those who remember Watergate, US President Nixon at the time was recorded as saying, I was not lying. I said things that later seemed to be untrue. And that's the world we live in. And as that world develops, people are becoming more aggressive about it. Not only is my perception more important than yours, I'm going to shut you down if I don't like your particular perception. We saw this again in our own community during the recent same-sex marriage debates where people who opted for one side or the other were howling down and shouting down and almost refusing to allow other people to speak their particular perceptions. Well, again, does it matter? Is it making a difference to us? In our world, a number of casualties are going to occur and are already occurring. Obviously, if facts are ignored, truth becomes a casualty. We see truth not being valued. Truth isn't important. And our trust in others is based on truth. Can I trust you? If you are not truthful and not consistent to what you say, the sad thing is, I can no longer trust you. Think back again to our doctor. How would you like him to say, you've got malaria, but I really feel some cough syrup is what you need. You wouldn't like it. Or the mechanic, your brakes are about to fail, but I think a paint job would be much nicer. It's not the sort of thing we would like, but in some respects, that's how our society is going. When we abandon facts, we abandon truth. If opinion and feelings matter more than the truth, then free speech starts to become a casualty, as evidenced again by the uh, way people were shouted down or held down during the uh, same-sex debate a year or so ago. And once our speech is curtailed, other freedoms are lost as well. Freedom to express your own beliefs, which is a challenge for all Christians. And ultimately, you'll lose a sense of direction in society because of what's right and wrong is no longer a, um, a priority. Christians, sadly, are not exempt from this trend. Christian values are widely recognised. Things grace, truth, love, justice, holiness mercy, kindness, forgiveness and righteousness. 
But what happens if we start to put our opinions on these things ahead of a biblical balance? The cross, which should be uniting us, starts to divide us. We see grace, love, mercy, kindness and forgiveness on one side being emphasised or truth, justice, holiness and righteousness being emphasised. Whereas the reality is that God's word should be uniting us, not dividing us. And we need to remember carefully what the writer of John's Gospel said about Jesus, that he became flesh, full of grace and truth. Right? We need to keep the balance in our Christian lives. If we polarise the people of God, that's a sad thing that happens. Each side will tend to try to shut the other side down and potentially destroy the church from within. Got to always remember, grace and truth go hand in hand. Well, what is truth? When Jesus was before Pilate, Jesus made a comment that he came to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate throws up his hands in um, contempt, disgust, frustration, I don't know. And he says, what is truth? And storms off. We don't wait, or he doesn't wait, to see what Jesus has to say. Now, when I was lecturing at university, I used to ask students what truth was, because it makes a difference in your de delivery of animal health uh, information to clients. So I thought I'd better put a little bit in here about what is truth. And I see it as sort of three major areas. The first is what I call pragmatic truth. It's a truth that is true by definition. For example, the postcode for uh, letterboxes in Bentley is 6102. Is that the truth? Yep, yep, it's true by definition. The capital of Australia is Canberra. It's true by definition. That's a bit mundane, but it's there as part of the truth. The next one is scientific truth, which is what I was trying to get across to students when I was talking about this sort of thing. But it's important for us as well. Example, the speed of light in a vacuum is some number that's too big for me to say, 2.9 by 10 to the 8 metres a second, um, which is pretty fast. And it's true by repeated measurement. Science proceeds by experiment results, experiment results. And when the results co repeatedly confirm what is being found, then we believe it is a scientific truth. And there's another one called historico-legal truth. And I should imagine uh, Rob's ears are pricking up at the moment. What's true in the courts? Well, an example, Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay were the first people to climb Mount Everest. Well, maybe they were, maybe they weren't. There's a bit of contention there, but a couple called Mallory and Irvin may have got to the top uh, in about 1924, as distinct from 1953 or whenever it was that uh, Hillary went up. But sadly, they didn't come down alive to tell us. So nobody's for sure whether Mallory and Irvin got there or not. But a historical truth, a historical legal truth, is one that is best fit of the known information. 
the best fit beyond reasonable doubt. I think you'd use that term, wouldn't you? Yeah, beyond reasonable doubt. Former Washington DC Mayor um, Marion Barry said, there are two truths. There are real truths and there are made up truths. It shows you where the world out there is heading in relation to truth. They just don't seem to know what it is. Okay, how can we find the truth? Well, certainly doesn't um, come from YouTube, Twitter or Facebook. And it doesn't come from Google. Sadly, these computer online packages use a system that's been referred to as your bubble. Now, your bubble is something that the computer algorithm picks up from the sites that you visit, from the searches that you've done in the past, and it tailors the outcome of a search to what it thinks you want to know. So that if I do a search for a specific topic, and you do a search for a specific topic, we're very likely to get different results. We cannot trust the internet or the search engines on it to give us the truth. It might be in there somewhere, but we won't, we won't know what it is or whether we've actually found it or not. What about looking to scientists? Scientists are generally quite noble people who will try to tell you that we only do things from a, an altruistic motive. We just want to make the world a better place. But sadly, scientists are people like you and me. They have feet of clay and they are influenced by a whole lot of other things around them. If a scientist is really going to do his research, he needs, give me a guess, money. Where's he going to get it from? The big companies giving out research grants and universities and the like. And so there's a pressure on him to get money. And he also doesn't want to sit down there as a junior scientist all his life. He wants to get a better salary over time. So there's a bit of prestige. He has to publish and he has to um, climb the academic ladder. And so scientists, sadly, will compromise themselves in order to achieve these goals. And they will do it not for your benefit, but for their own. In the area of psychology, one recent study indicated that about 40% of published results could not be duplicated. They were published simply because somebody wanted to get up the ladder a bit and have more publications. It's sad. In my own field, we saw a few years back a wonderful breakthrough. White mice had had skin from black mice successfully grafted onto them. And again, this was a bit of research that couldn't be duplicated until finally the uh, scientist doing this cracked and said, yes, well, what it was was a black texture on a white mouse. And he'd done it simply to get the publication so he could get more funding for more research. It's a sad world, but that's what uh, happens. And in reality, I'm amazed at the progress we make despite some of these 
very sad things. What about philosophers? Well, people have been philosophizing since the days of the Greeks, and they haven't yet come up with something that works uniformly or universally for society. And if you feel that some other philosophies are worthwhile, go and have a look at the societies and cultures that have come out of those philosophies. Go to India, go to Southeast Asia and see some of these things and see the societies if you really feel that those philosophies have had a positive influence. They might be good in some areas, but overall they fall short. What about politicians? I've rather tongue-in-cheek said, do they have a Trump card? I don't think so. Our politicians are usually not the sort of people that we would trust in the long term to guide us in our community. Well, what is the source of truth? If you have your Bible with you, put your finger in John chapter 14 and read round about verse 6. Jesus himself claims that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Amongst the other things that Jesus claimed was that he was the Son of God, the giver of eternal life, at one with the Father, the forgiver of sins, the bread of life, the good shepherd, the true vine, the giver of living water, the light of the world, the future judge, the Lamb of God, the baptizer with the Holy Spirit, the door of salvation, the Saviour, the Messiah, and the healer. And if you read through the scriptures, you'll see that Jesus justified every one of those claims by his acts, ultimately his death, and his resurrection. And if you're worried about the validity or the truth of the resurrection, there have been some very good books published that go through all the evidence. For example, Josh McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict has been repeatedly published over the years. More recently, uh, the case for the resurrection of Jesus, um, again in 2010. Uh, plenty of books available for finding out that the resurrection is the source of Jesus or validating Jesus' claims to be the truth plus the way plus the life. And Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. We're very concerned, as I mentioned earlier, with freedom in our society. And Jesus links truth and freedom. They're inextricable. Know the truth and then freedom will follow. In a post-truth world, the demise of freedom uh, occurs almost step by step until it becomes simply, as I mentioned before, the pursuit of autonomy. Now, autonomy simply means self-rule. I will rule myself. I'll do what I want. And ultimately, that's anarchy. Anarchy in our society. Well, where does Jesus point when we're wondering about truth? He points unequivocally to God's word. He points to the scriptures and says, when he's praying for his people, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So God's word, under the guidance, direction of Jesus in our lives, becomes the source of truth, and through truth, 
freedom. So what's our challenge? Our challenge in this world is to acknowledge the source of truth, that is Jesus. It is to acknowledge Jesus as who he claims to be, the Son of God at one with God, Lord of all. To uphold the truth and live the truth day by day, that we're to reflect the truth of who Jesus is. And if people are willing to hear, then share the truth with others. What about some practical strategies for living in a world filled with post-truth mistruths? Well, we have to live in it, so what can we do? Read, watch, listen carefully. Choose multiple sources. Don't believe the first thing you see, hear or read. Don't take opinions or commentaries at face value. Question the assumptions. What is it that's behind the person making the statement? What is it that they're wanting? What is their agenda? Check your biases yourself. We all have a bias. We all think of things in a particular uh, context. What is that context? Why do I feel that way? Why do I believe what I do? Be open to new and different perspectives. I don't have all the truth. I need to be open to other uh, interpretations of what the truth might really be. Now remember that I'm entitled to my opinions, you're entitled to yours, but we have to respect the facts. We cannot create our own facts. Well, we live in a post-truth society. Truth, facts, free speech and freedom generally are at risk. We need that fixed reference for truth. Only Jesus is that reference and he highlights God's word. We need to acknowledge this truth first and foremost and then live wisely. There we are another post-truth example. The internet is pure truth, said Aristotle. Now, when did Aristotle live? Last week? Last year? <laughs> a few thousand years ago. And is that a picture of Aristotle? <laughs> no? <laughs> okay. This is what you'll find if you search the in internet. You'll find distortions. Okay, if you want more information, there's a very nifty little book out in uh, Kurong at the moment and there's a, a sale coming up soon. I don't get any commission for saying this, but uh, a fellow who was, who was uh, a Muslim became a Christian and he's a lawyer, so you might identify with this, and he uh, spends his time justifying the truth through Jesus. He also raises a very interesting thing, and that is some people might accept the truth but it can take years before they acknowledge it. He took nine years from realizing that Jesus was Lord to actually accepting him. So don't give up on people, keep trusting and keep praying. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I praise you that you are the way, the truth and the life. We can live in the truth, in freedom, as we bow our lives to you. You are 
the sovereign Lord, the God of the universe, and we pray that our lives would show your truth in a post-truth world. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for letting me share. I hope that's been helpful for making your day a little bit brighter as you go through our post-truth world.